My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on what is a very cool but very bright winter morning here in the capital and I am delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add even more brightness to affairs is Mark Hobbs, owner of New Leaf Distribution Limited in South End on Sea, Essex. Uh, Mark, very warm welcome to yourself this morning and thanks ever so much for joining us. Good morning and thanks for giving me the opportunity to be with you this morning. It's an immense pleasure having you alongside me uh, today, Mark, of course. Now, um, you are a £15 million turnover financial advice business, just to sort of contextualise for those listeners that might not be familiar with you. Um, And you've been around since about sort of 2004, is that right? Yeah, we're almost 20 years old now. Yeah, and um, what was it that sort of made the decision for you back then, do you feel, that going into sort of business and having your own sort of financial advice practice was going to be the way forward for you, would you say? So I've had several businesses prior to New Leaf Distribution. Uh, so I've been in the financial services business since I was about 20 years old. I'm 57 years old now. Um, and as I went through the progress of building and selling businesses um, over the years, I thought I would my goal was to establish a business that would house new entrants to the industry. I saw an enormous gap in the market for new entrants to financial services advice. And that advice would be to retail clients, typically your home service environment and business to business environment. And so I started the business with uh, great enthusiasm uh, around 20 years ago, really with the mindset to have a small academy type operation that would allow for Um, really a handful of people to come into the industry. Um, My goal was not to borrow any money whatsoever and to build the business from really just myself and grow it organically with a very small goal, really, uh, Scott, to have uh, probably 10 advisors that were brand new to the industry and then bring family members in to uh, give them opportunities. So work with families, work with people I love and to create opportunities for a handful of new people. It just escalated. So uh, we started the business and uh, we started by training, academic training. So to become a mortgage broker in the UK, you have to have a qualification called the Certificate of Mortgage Advice and Practice, which is afforded uh, in those days by the Institute of Financial Studies, now uh, by the London Institute of Banking and Finance, which is the same organization. So I saw an opportunity to train that, uh, being a trainer all my life and a coach, business manager. Um, mentality and developer of people um, and, and a builder of sales uh, teams. Uh, so that's been my sort of goals and made definite purpose over the years. Uh, saw an opportunity really just to train CMAP, to charge for it, and then to bring people into the industry by uh, creating a small niche opportunity. Um, I couldn't believe the, it, the inquiries, Scott. I had uh, 40 people every weekend at the University of Westminster queuing up outside the door for training. Uh, I was working seven days a week training uh, people until, as organic growth always happens, great people come along and, and start to you're able to start to delegate to them. So we, we would graduate people into their full CMAP, and then we would start to take some of them on to be active advisors under our directly authorized entity. Yeah, so by that time, actually, we weren't directly authorized. At that time, we were with a network uh, ourselves. So we were authorized by a network who we were duly authorized by the regulator, which was the Financial Services Authority at the time, not the Financial Conduct Authority, the FSA uh, versus the FCA. 
Um, and um, people were just attracted to us. Uh, so for whatever reason, and I think I have some of the reasons for you, they started to become extremely attracted to us. And I do understand the principle of marketing, you know, attraction, interest, desire, ac action. And we were, we were getting people come to us and say, I need to be in your business. I need to be giving advice. I need a supervisory capacity over me so I can get competent advisor status. And we went very, very quickly from zero to 100 advisors within about two years, two to three years, an incredible growth. Uh, we haven't uh, ever borrowed any money along the way at all. And our growth has been uh, really orchestrated through profit and loss and cash flow management. We're now at 250 advisors. We turn over around 15, it should be 15 to 20 million this year, which is incredible. I remember mm. the first million. Um, and we are highly profitable. Still have never borrowed any money. Uh, we've got a very strong ethos that we're a lifestyle business. Uh, in my business, to give you an example of how it has grown, my son is the MD. Uh, he came out of university and joined the business and has grown into a position where he runs the company alongside myself. Um, in my business, my sister, who's the office manager, my wife, who is in the sales department, so it's semi-retired, really. Um, my niece, who runs the commissions department, my nephew, who is the head of compliance, my best friend, who's the head of mortgage compliance, it goes on. Uh, but my goal was always to orchestrate the business to be a very strong family business because I want to be working with people I love. So that's why I did what I did, and hopefully that's standing us in good stead. But what's happening is it's replication of that ideology mm. within the group. So where we have what is called appointed representatives, so these are these advisory businesses typically of one, two, three to ten people who are replicating that family organic growth. And that is just happening by chance. We don't recruit, we don't advertise at all. All our recruits come from our own advisors. Um, and we don't want to be taking on the world. We don't want to be much bigger. We're almost reaching really where we need to be. Uh, and really, we're in a, a fantastic position. The challenges, of course, at the moment are the regulator, of course. We always have to adhere mm. to principles and supervisory regulation. And, of course, professional indemnity insurance, which you can't trade without, is the biggest challenge to our longevity. Um, and the only way you can really, uh, let's say, traverse those difficult waters is to make sure your business is as clean and as uh, superbly run as possible. So part of the leadership of our business is all about compliance, is making sure that the business is fundamentally mm. uh, compliant. Uh, as well as leadership to get sales, to increase productivity, to increase the attitude and motivation of people and individuals within the business. We spend a lot of time on compliance, but we do spend a lot of time on thinking. So we train our guys to think differently. We train them to think positively. I run a session called a Mastermind Alliance every Wednesday at 8 a.m. It's recorded and on a webinar basis. And the idea is, is to keep control of one's thinking and develop their mindset to become what they think about, to decide to be happy, which is our actual mantra and our, our mission, to decide to be happy and decide to be wealthy. Um, we believe there are three ingredients to success, activity, knowledge, know-how, and inspiration to action. Get the inspiration to action right in the majority of people, you get great returns and great results. So we spend a lot of time on mindset management, if that makes sense. Mm. 
Yeah, it certainly does. And for anybody tuning into this that, you know, might have their own big idea, might want to start their own business, those are some key fundamentals there, aren't they? And it's uh, it's incredibly sort of inspiring and really telling just how sort of the business has grown exponentially beyond what you imagine right at the beginning and you've still been able to manage that incredibly well. And uh, it just goes to show that with the turnover that you're enjoying, even after the challenge of the last couple of years, just goes to show just how robust the business truly is. And uh, I'd be interested well, to, last, yeah, go on. The last couple of years have been absolutely uh, a blessing mm. uh, because uh, whilst we were using technology before to deliver advice to clients, uh, I would say that 20 to 25% of advice given was over the net, you know, by way of webinars. We used to use uh, go-to training, the Citrix system, quite a lot in the old days. Um, so some clients would prefer you not to come to their home or to their business and actually speak to them online. And that's absolutely fine. So I would say over the last 10 years, 20% of our business was done that way. The rest was get in a vehicle, drive to the home or drive to the business, deliver the advice and come away. I honestly, Scott, it is now 95% online and it's not going to change. So we're using Teams in, in, in the main and, of course, Zoom and other media, uh, go, to, go to meeting, et cetera. But incredibly, people, because of the pandemic, people have had to get their head around using tech, mm. using Zoom, using Skype, using this technology. Um, and because of that, they found it super efficient. So what we're finding is, I mean, personally speaking, I can have 10, 15 meetings a day. And the challenge then is the admin that comes from those meetings. I'm literally not in the car traveling around the country anymore, which I used to be in hotels away from my family. I am literally sitting, looking at a computer into a webinar screen on Teams to literally everyone I meet, recruits, advisors, inspirational meetings, training sessions, webinars, uh, structured training, you know, whatever it might be. Our company, myself in particular, delivering this training through the media of online webinars. And I tell you, it's made us super efficient. Now, let's transfer that to our advisors. Our advisors who are seeing end users, clients, they're giving advice. And actually, because of technology and the way you can transfer data and share data and share information, you can see each other, it's, it's absolutely like being in a, a real meeting. Um, and they are, generally speaking, clients are very, very happy to engage in this way, which allows us to be super efficient uh, in the way we work. So we have grown exponentially. So before the crisis, two years ago, we were turning 10 million. Now we're turning 15 million. That is a massive growth. And this year we'll see another huge growth because of the use of tech and the efficiencies that is giving us. People are not driving around in vehicles all over the country or getting trains in order to go to meetings. They're speaking online. Um, even we are doing this over the phone, which is absolutely agreeable. Mm. Uh, in the old days, Scott, we would have met in London somewhere, probably spent a half a day doing this, where um, we would have had, we'd had a coffee, done the niceties and all the rest of it. But now we'll have, I don't know how long you want, but half an hour, an hour, whatever, on the phone, done, dusted, move on. And actually, we're in an environment now where you have to be a sharp thinker. You do have to have energy. You have to have higher energy. So the negative, if you like, is you're going to do more because mm -hmm. of tech. You're going to do more because of the way you're working because of the pandemic. You're, certainly in our business, I appreciate that some areas such as hospitality, restaurateurs, hoteliers, and so on have had a dreadful time of it. And I feel for them tremendously. I mean, I've got a London office in St. James's. 
I've got a South End office in Essex. A South End office is our admin hub, and our uh, St James's office is where we do really recruitment presentations, executive coaching. But the reality is, it was dead for so long. And I look at those businesses and how they've hung on. And also, I recognise that the government has done a fantastic job for this country. Uh, I'm not one of those who's going to moan. You know, we didn't need the support. We didn't take any support uh, from the government. We didn't actually have, I think we had one on furlough uh, whilst the lockdown was on because that person was looking after storage of, and facilities. So that person had to be um, on, on the furlough scheme. But what a, what a government we've got, what a country we are, that most people did get a living wage or at least a wage to get them through, scrape through that period. I'm, I'm great. I'm very respectful of what this government has done. Um, I'm not being political. I'm just amazed by how well we were all supported during the last two years. I think it's a difficult mm. time to come in terms of illness, people handling the, their illnesses that they're going to face. But generally speaking, it's a fantastic opportunity for you tech to integrate with your clients, with introducers, networking opportunities to build your business. I'm not averse to going out there and seeing people during during when we were allowed to have business meetings. We were out there, but the efficiencies of purpose we now have at our fingertips is, is just incredible. And I'm 57. I see we're just starting out. Uh, what an opportunity for all. Even in areas that we do, with such as equity relief, we can do some of that online as well. We do need to see the client in that vulnerable client state status, but. Um, some of the work, the efficiencies, again, can be improved. It's just amazing. Supervising people can be done online effectively. Uh, I can run one-to-ones. I can do coaching sessions. I can do webinars. We can delegate responsibilities to others. It's a great opportunity. Never known a time like it, to be honest. Mm. It's all change, isn't it? It's really hastened that digital revolution, made everybody embrace tech and see the benefits of that for sure. And as well as that, because everybody is so much more conscious now of their sort of sustainability policies, their environmental impact, that yeah. the, the, the meetings online, not having to commute around as we talked about, I mean, it really sort of helps business with their sort of corporate social responsibilities, doesn't it? So that's also something that Hopefully. is going to be very much yeah. at the forefront of the uh, the mind as well. Um, totally agree, yeah. yeah. One thing that you mentioned as well there, Mark, was about the sort of office space that you do hold and the need to obviously see some clients, some staff members on a face-to-face level. And um, do you think that that's also going to be something that's important to retain in some capacity? So obviously when we think about what the workplace of the future is going to be like, it's probably more likely going to be sort of the hybrid format rather than all in the office or all remote working, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, my view is that the culture of a business is dependent upon the employees being in a place of work. I'm talking about a small business. Mm. So we're a, very, we're a small business. And I think if you're going to create culture and longevity and retain staff, you need to have a place where people frequent together on a regular basis. Now, I'm not against or averse to the hybrid model, but I'm not really uh, motivated by it. I like to be with my staff. I mm. like to share ideas when we're delegating, when we're working in teams. We need to be face-to-face uh, as a team. Um, and I found that actually some of the some of the groups, uh, certainly those that are admin, very admin-focused, so our commissions team and others like it, did not perform as well when they were working from home. They just didn't. They need to be in that environment uh, to motivate each other, to keep each other on track. Um, but again, the hybrid model is going to be the way forward for us. So we allow, we allow our employees to work from home when necessary. 
um, and we have each uh, we have a scope for each employee as to how they want to work, and we sign it off. So yeah, I mean London's come back to life. But um, we we I'm in London probably two three days a week, and the trains are absolutely packed again. It's obvious that the workplace is coming back to life. Having said that, you know, part of our business is mortgages. We do mortgages. We give advice on protection. We give advice uh, on commercial property we, uh, transactions. We do development finance. We do investments, pensions. So we're right. We do will right and right across the board. Um, I, I'm seeing that people are coming back to their workplaces in large, large numbers. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing. I do, I do think it's a really good thing. But the hybrid model has got to also be engaged with um, some of the biggest, biggest businesses in the world obviously have used the hybrid model for years, such as Google, for example. They've been home workers for many, many years. Just for me as a small business, in terms of culture, it's really important that we're together the majority of the time. Uh, that's my view. Yeah, because they call them water cooler moments, don't they, when you're sort of bouncing ideas yeah. off each other. And that's so important yeah. for sort of driving forward innovation, isn't it? And I think if you sort of Absolutely. made it too remote in terms of the working practice, those moments are kind of lost, aren't they? And you do lose that productivity. Yeah. You do lose that motivation, as you talked about. And also the emotional side. I mean, this, this COVID has caused a lot of people to be stressed. Mm. Um, nearly every course, I run a course called the Blueprint course, which is a two-day uh, let's say a mind resetting event and every single person is in that course so we've had, we've had about 30 people attend it over the last uh, nine months um, all of them are our advisors uh, or staff members but every single person and this is no exception has told the group and this is under Chatham House rules that people are speaking honestly and openly um, that they have had a stress issue or are suffering from stress um, and anxiety so there's no doubt about it. Being at home, being in environments that aren't they're not used to, being uh, with people that they love, but they're with them 24 hours a day, is causing issues. So I think it's very healthy for them to get back to work. For me personally, so I've never uh, worked from home. I don't believe in it. I believe in compartmentalization. So for me, I leave my home, which is my sanctuary, and I go to work. And that place of work, I mean, my if you see my place of work, it's an absolute mess. It is a place where you know work is being done. I don't like offices that are crystal clean and uh, absolutely pristine. You know the work isn't being done. Just check the P&L at that business. Probably not making money. Uh, it's probably trying to impress as opposed to getting a profit. Our business looks messy uh, when you come into our environment because everybody's working their guts out. Everybody's working really hard. And I think that you do see that in certain businesses. There's a business I go to for uh, my, my vehicles. And uh, it's been going for 80 years, this business, uh, mechanic business. And when you go in, it's just a mess. It's a, it's a, it's a hovel, really. Uh, but you know why. They're, they're so busy uh, that that is a busy environment, a busy office. And I love going into that kind of environment and, and that kind of mess because that actually means the business is extremely uh, busy in terms of its functioning and its profit. Um, so I also can't stand the social media uh, where people are telling everybody the world how well they're doing, especially LinkedIn, where they're telling people how brilliant they are, how well they're doing, and everything else. Check the P&L, and they're absolutely broke. You can check anyone's profit and loss. You can check anyone's accounts for one pound. You can check them for free, actually, and get a high-level view. Um, but you should always check people's uh, accounts, company accounts, because if they're saying one thing and their company account is saying another, there's a real problem there. 
Um, so I always I always check accounts now if I'm going to use anybody or work with anybody or go into strategic alliances with anybody. Um, the other factor of working in a team environment in your office is, of course, that you can delegate responsibility and upskill mm. people and allow them to do the job that you're just not good at yourself. Uh, my employees have all grown with the business and over the years. Uh, most of them are university graduates. Uh, a lot of them are university graduates, I should say. Some are not. Um, but uh, they, it's wonderful to be able to delegate our responsibilities. I can take time to speak to you, Scott, for example. Exactly right. And um, for instance, when your business is so invested in educating that next generation, as you talked about, I think you almost need to be with the, the young learners, the apprentices, nurturing that next generation rather than sort of constantly looking at them through a computer screen. I think that's very right. And when you talk about compartmentalization as well, Mark, you make a great point there because from well-being point of view, if you're working from home constantly, it sort of blurs the lines between work and home life, doesn't it? And then when you're sort of in a position where you might be sort of more productive because you've not had to spend time commuting into an office space, but you're also on your emails at 11 p.m. at night, for example, you know, that can start to cause issues and you can even burn yourself out working from home, isn't it? So it requires a lot more careful management in that situation. And when you've got somewhere to actually go to in that common environment, I think that has its benefits, doesn't it, in that sense? Yes, I totally agree. I mean, the thing is, there's two theories on work, and there's a merge theory and there's a compartmentalization theory. So, for example, when I was younger, my mine was merged. So, literally, my business was my life. Um, everything had to work around that. And whether I was at home or in the office or on the road, you know, I was working. And I had a young family. And my wife, I've been married for 38 years. I've been in our relationship for 40 years. I've got two children. I've got two I've brought up two other children, foster children, um, who one of which is in my business. Um, it it was a philosophy of work, work, work first, home life second. Now I'm not going to say I don't disagree with that because if you're going to be uh, want the things for your family and you want to develop a legacy, uh, it's important to put the work in. I I come from a a family that had literally nothing, very very poor single parent family, and you're either inspired by dissatisfaction or you go into acceptance. Um, I was very fortunate to meet some really inspirational people early on in my life in American Life Insurance Company, American organization, that I bumped into and joined by chance on a commission-only basis, and I met some influences in there that changed my life for the better, just gave me some food for thought, uh, which changed my thinking. And uh, I was always dissatisfied at home when I was a young boy, always wanted to be better than this, wanted more than this, and I was inspired by the people I met. I could smell the money. I could smell the opportunity. But for me, it's about legacy building and leaving something for the next generation because ultimately you don't want them to start from the base level that you did. If you can get your family to the next level, it gives them a springboard to their success. So for me, it's all about family. Um, but, I, but I have changed over the years from merge theory to compartmentalization probably, I would say, 15 years ago, um, whereby that is the best way to work. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It depends on your personality and character as to which you choose, and neither is wrong or right. There is a price to be paid for success. Uh, the success, uh, I was taught the definition of success many years ago. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Think about it. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. It comes from El Nightingale. Uh, I think it comes from a Stranger Secrets book. But the reality of it is, if success is the progression of a, uh, the realization of a worthy ideal. First of all, you've got to have a worthy idea. 
in other words, a goal, in other words, a major definite purpose, as Brian Tracy would put it. If you have that, you start to move towards it. And if you diligently start to move towards your goals, you are transported to a different environment, a superhighway nonetheless. And the incredible nature of that is it propels you forward and pulls everyone along with you. Uh, it, it, it's a wonder, wonderful thing to set goals and believe in them. However, um, it depends on your personality as to whether you have the ability to compartmentalize or merge. When I was younger, I just didn't. It was just all in, all in. Now, for me, it's much more strategic. I think about what I do. You've heard about the phrase, looking at the big rocks. It comes from Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey says, deal with your big rocks every week and then surround those big rocks with other smaller facets of your week. So look at the week ahead. Think about all the big things you've got to do that are going to create income-generating results. Get them in the diary and then surround them with all the noise. He talks, he talks about quadrants one to four, quadrant two being the absolute stuff that brings in the income. Um, compartmentalization allows you to do that and it allows you to carve out time for your family, for your personal well-being, for your training, for your, your running, your gym, your reading, your you know your personal development, your work. Uh, I think the problem, Scott, we've got now is we've got a generation of people, and I'm not blaming millennials or any generation, but I think we are a generation of people that are Instagram mad, mm. and actually what they do is they just seek leisure. Now, if you're going to just seek leisure, you're going to be at leisure, which means you'll do nothing. If you're going to seek success, the leisure will take care of itself. But the problem now is we've got a generation that are just looking for leisure and pleasure, whereas actually you've got to put blooming wood on the fire before you get the flame. And the reality I find frustrating is people not willing to pay any kind of price uh, at all, and all they want is leisure. Um, focus on work, focus on productivity, focus on developing yourself, focus on developing people around you, focus on developing a business that has legs and is real and has a unique selling point that has congruence with the name to the target market you will have as much leisure time as you want in later time it's sound advice indeed isn't it and um, i think as well just to actually add to that mark i mean sort of uk culture um, especially something that i've found in uh, especially recent years i think a lot of people when it comes to sort of taking the plunge of starting their own business are a little bit too risk averse at times aren't they and whereas we look at failure as a terminal thing we don't look at it enough as a win or learn, from a win or learn mentality, do we? I think we have to sort of embrace the setbacks as well and use those for that self-development that you've talked about to better yourself. Because you've told me as well that you started to turn towards compartmentalization and that shows that it was a recognition that you weren't the finished product yet and there's always a way to develop yourself, make your business better. And every day's a school day, isn't it? Tell you what, I'm just starting out. I'm 57 years old and I'm just starting out. That's the truth. I mean, the more you know, the less you, you realize, the less you have in terms of knowledge. The more you know, so as you grow in knowledge, you suddenly have a realization that you know nothing. It's amazing. And you just like want to be a sponge and want to learn every day. I mean, the problem is that people who seem to know it all know nothing. Does that make sense? So knowing mm. more means you realize you know little and it means you want to grow and develop. Uh, without without any doubt at all, um, I, I agree with what you're saying there. 
Yeah, and it's also the value of networking as well, just going back to sort of what kind of really changed it for you, sort of seeing those influential people within the American business. And I think we've really sort of been reminded of the value of networking and learning from others who've been there and done it, haven't we, over the last couple of years? We've seen during this sort of time of COVID, more businesses going and talking to each other more than ever before. And even with sort of the, the quest for a working vaccine, for incidents, you saw the big pharmaceuticals sharing intellectual property for the first time. That's completely unheard of, isn't it? So it just goes to show you that there's a lot to learn from others within the within industry as well. And, you know, it's there a good is. thing to do to go and speak to these people, go and learn from them. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you said a couple of things earlier. You said about um, people who start businesses don't realise uh, don't take enough risk. Well, uh, and and obviously you talk about failure, and I, I must recognise that first of all. If you're not failing every day, ninety percent of the time, you're not going to be a success. You have to absorb failure. You have to accept it. It's massive and it's difficult. It's really hard to take rejection. It's really hard to be told no all the time. And then there's a little yes. Um, but the the old saying of the acres of diamonds is massive. You know, you've heard that story of acres of diamonds, haven't you? Where mm. the, I'll cut it short. But basically, there's a guy who takes a farm in Africa in the diamond rush, and they buy a farm. He, he lands his wife and children at the farm, and he leaves the farm and goes out looking for diamonds. Goes with everybody else looking for diamonds miles away. He doesn't have any success finding diamonds at all, and he fails dismally. And as a consequence, he kills himself. His family sell up the ranch and leave. The incumbent of the ranch then, the people that come by the ranch and come, come into the ranch, the owner starts walking around the land and he finds a creek in the land, a, a, small, a small sort of creek river in the land. And he sees something shining in the, in, the, in the creek and he picks it out and it's actually a black, massive black rock with little shiny sparkly bits on it. He doesn't know what it is. He puts it on the mantelpiece. He likes the look of it. Um, and then someone comes to his house and says, what the heck is that? And he said, I don't know, I found it in the creek. There's hundreds of them in the creek. I just like the look of it. And it ended up in diamonds, a massive diamond, one of the biggest diamonds in the world. And what we sometimes do is we run away from the opportunities that are right at our feet. And this example is a true example that the guy went, bought the ranch, left the ranch, went looking elsewhere for opportunity and failed. Whereas the guy that then bought the ranch after him looked uh, under his feet and found what was the biggest diamond uh, area in the world. Um, and that is a true of us. We work in communities. If you work in a community, in a business, and you're a community business, you'll get trust. The only reason that people don't buy from you is for two reasons. Number one, you don't believe in what you're selling. And number two, the client doesn't trust you. They're the two reasons people don't buy it. There's no other reason. You can give me all the other reasons in the world, but if you've got a product that people need and they want and they desire, and you believe in it and you're passionate about it, and, and pe people will buy it. The only reason they won't buy it is they don't trust you. So you're not coming across right or correctly. So they're the two things that I teach people all the time. You've got to believe in what you do, love what you do, be impassioned by what you do, and people can't help but be attracted by that and come to you to use your services. And if you're empowered and genuine and love what you do, you can't be a faker. You know, you can't be mm. a faker. You've got to tell the truth all the time. Your ethics have got to be spot on. Your culture has got to be about graft, hard work, taking that rejection every day until success comes and finds you. And it will. It 100% will. If you keep going and keep persisting with a product you love, believe in, and it's required in the community, 
and people start to trust you because you're community-based, your small business will flourish and grow and become a much bigger business. And I don't believe in borrowing money. I, I just, you know, I'm in a business where we lend money. Of course we are. And I'm not talking about mortgages and things like that. But I don't want you to get in debt when you're running a business because you'll find you'll be restricted. The less amount of debt you can have, the more free you'll be. So I want you to, if, whoever's listening to this who's starting a business, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how you can resource your business with no money down or little money down. Um, I teach this in my blueprint course. I only teach it to people who are in my business. I don't teach it to externals, but maybe that could be for the future. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And talking about the future as well, uh, just before we sort of finish up, uh, Mark, actually, I wanted to talk about sort of how your business is going to be seizing on the opportunities of the future. Now that, of course, you've sort of strengthened, really consolidated and grown during COVID. And now that we're out of that acute phase of the pandemic, I'm so interested to understand what's next for you and what big plans are on the horizon, because that exponential growth is quite something. And, you know, you must be looking forward to the future with an immense amount of optimism right now. We are. There's always threats. There's always difficulties. Something always comes and kicks you up the backside. Um, but you, you have to expect that. You know, most shops set aside set aside 15% of their turnover for shoplifting. We have to set aside some, you know, thinking time and also monetary side for shoplifting. Something's going to come and kick you. So expect that. And that's a good thing when it happens. It's just going to happen. But for me, for the future, I'm absolutely passionate about diversifying profit centers. So um, without over-diversifying the business, but providing my clients, which is my advisors, with really great profit center opportunities that they can take to their communities, and also using great tech. You have to embrace technology. You have to embrace systems that allow you to be more efficient. End-to-end systems. So for us, we buy in that third-party technology we're not in a position yet to build it ourselves, but we buy it in and we're able to go to the market and do a beauty parade. And you can really, really aggressively uh, utilize leverage uh, by interviewing all of these providers. Do not take their price. Do not take anyone's price and accept it. You will always get a better price if you negotiate on price at any level. If you're going to take office space, don't take the, uh, the, the cost of, pounds per square foot price as the price. You negotiate hard. You'll get it for half price. We're in an environment where uh, commercial property is really going up because people are getting permitted development and changing the use of those properties. But again, people going back to the office, we can still negotiate very, very hard on price. And you can do break clauses after a year or two years. You can do a five-year lease with a break clause, whatever you want to do. But don't forget to negotiate. Don't be embarrassed and negotiate everything in your business, everything, systems, even the water cooler we talked about. Everything that you utilize in your business is up for negotiation, okay? Everything. And that is the most important aspect. Never be embarrassed to say, I'm, I want to pay less. Um, always ask for their help. Always say to people, I need your help. I'm a startup or I need your help. I've been going for a couple of years, but I need your help to help me here to make this more efficient for me. If you just accept people's price, you get the wrong price. Please, that's the most important thing I'll say to you. But for me, for the future, diversification is king. Um, and of course, cash is king. Always watching the cash flow. That is what goes on. So yeah, developing the people that we have, uh, creating excellence. So for us, um, the, the sort of ultimate position for an advisor is that of independent financial advisor. 
receiving investments and pensions. So we grow people towards that. We gravitate them towards that position. So for me, I need 100 of those. I've got 68 of those at the moment. I want 100. And we want a billion under management. We're not far from that. And that was all our, always our major definite purpose, to see 100 IFAs with a billion under management. And then, of course, we have our mortgage community. We have our protection community. We have our commercial community. So, yeah, building those profit centers, strengthening those relationships, those strategic partnerships, that's the future for us, Scott. And an exciting future it is as well. And, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on it very, very closely because I'd absolutely love to revisit this and just catch up on how the business is doing at some point in this Thank next you. year. Um, and it's been so enlightening and so engrossing having you join us on the, uh, the show, Mark. It's been an immense pleasure. And I'm sure that those no, tuning been... in um, will really share that sentiment as well and really take a lot from this. Really kind. You've got to remember that business owners never get to talk about their business. That's why it's easy to sell to them. Business owners mm. never get to talk about their business. It's their baby. And when we get an opportunity, even old people like me, <laughs> get an opportunity to talk about our business, we embrace it and love it because nobody's asked us. So, you know, when we talk to business owners, the first thing we say is tell us about your business, how you're growing it, your culture, your staff, you know, the challenges you've had. And they just love talking about their business because they don't get the chance. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, and that passion is absolutely infectious, Mark. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed today. Bless you. And uh, by all means as well, do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on. And I'm sure that better days are ahead and we'll certainly keep in touch. Thanks for the opportunity, Scott. Much appreciated. It was an immense pleasure welcoming Mark Hobbs from New Leaf Distribution onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. And if anybody listening in today who owns their own business, feels that they have their own story of success or innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our listeners, please do take care and goodbye.